quick note, a word of congratulations to uh, Kevin and Emma, uh, and we are excited for them and rejoice and celebrate with them uh, this week with the, uh, the coming of, of little Henry, so we're excited about that. <clears throat> uh, we are working through the book of Hebrews. Maybe we are. Well, that's all right. Whenever we get there, I'm just going to be reading for a bit anyway, that's fine. Um, but we are on Hebrews 11, uh, and we'll, we are absolutely not going to be uh, nearly as comprehensive as uh, I know some of you might like to be uh, this, this morning. Hebrews 11 is the longest chapter in the Bible, or no, no, in longest chapter in Hebrews, uh, but we are going to try and tackle it. Uh, in its entirety, and have more of a, an overview, and I'll, we'll read through that, and I want to share some uh, observations with you from uh, this chapter, which is uh, famously called the Hall of Faith. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the, sub, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the, of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth and all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that you have done in our lives, for all of the ways that you show us who you are, that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will. And I pray that we would have faith, that we would trust that you will come again, that you will give us eternal life, and even more than that, better than that, God, that you will give us rich, profound, abundant life close to you, our creator, our father, here and now. And we pray that we would experience that this morning as we read about some of these heroes of old, all in the name of Christ, amen. You know, as we read into Hebrews 11, um, we kind of pick up right where we left off at the end of chapter 10, talking about the need for faith 
and the need for endurance. This idea that uh, life in Christ is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And because of that, because of all that you're going to face, and remember he is talking to a, a diaspora of Christians spread all around because of intense persecution in the Roman world, and he's saying you have to have faith and endurance. And I know that um, typically as we've been reading through Hebrews, and every time the author quotes the Old Testament, I love to go back and tell that story in the Old Testament. I, I am sad to say we don't have time to do that with everyone in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and in fact, you know, I, I think even the author recognizes it uh, right at the end. It's like he starts going through the Bible and he gets to about here before he goes, you know what, I don't even have time to tell you all of the rest of this, okay? Like, he goes through all of these people and, and holds them up for their faith. And so, in the little while that we have this morning, what I want to do is look and, and share with you just a few uh, observations and ruminations about faith, what faith is, what it isn't, what it calls us to, and what we should do about it um, from Hebrews chapter 11 and this call to have faith and endurance. And the first thing that we want to look at with faith is he defines faith in chapter 1, or excuse me, in verse 1, right there at the very beginning. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It doesn't get more straightforward than that. That is what faith is. At its core, faith is trusting in something you do not see yet. Faith is looking and saying, I know God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he would do. Recall back to chapter 3 when we were talking about Moses in the wilderness and that kind of faith that we need to have. That is the faith that he is holding up from all of these patriarchs in the early chapters of the Bible. Even, um, even uh, what Addie read at the beginning of the service from John chapter 20, yes, you do well, you who have seen me, but blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen me. And that is what is going on here. We, you know, the, the audience and us, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know who Jesus is. We, unlike uh, many of the people to whom he is writing, have not seen him with our own eyes, but we have uh, detailed descriptions of his life uh, and a history of his work and his teaching and his miracles. But think for a moment about all of those who came before and they still had that same faith. And this is every now and then a misunderstanding that I have to address and I have to clarify. And I think many people have in their minds this idea that, yes, we in the New Testament, in the, in the church age, since Jesus, we have faith through the blood of Jesus. That's how we're made right with God, by grace, through faith, because of Jesus. And in the Old Testament, people were made right with God through obedience and the law and righteousness. That is not the case. In fact, as we have seen even through the book of Hebrews, the law never made anyone right with God. It simply highlighted their need to be made right with God. In fact, what makes all of these people right with God is the exact same thing. Grace through faith in a promised Messiah. And these people, all of them, 
are saved not because of their righteousness, but because of their faith in Jesus, even though for some it was centuries and millennia before he would come. But still they had that faith in him. And and faith is trusting in this thing that we cannot see. In fact, faith even becomes a sort of catch-all moniker for what our religious you know, tradition. We say, oh, your faith, or what faith background do you have, or what is your practice of faith? You know, we have a freedom to uh, practice any faith or no faith at all in this country. And people say things like that. And first of all, I would say, those that say, you know, yes, you might have faith because you trust in something you don't see, and somebody who says, but I don't, I have no faith. I say baloney. We all of us, on occasion, trust in things that we do not see. If you or anyone you know gets ready for work or whatever you're doing tomorrow morning, gets dressed and prepared and mentally kind of readies themselves for the day, you are trusting that the sun is going to come up and we're going to have another day. That is faith. It is trusting in something you cannot see. And the first thought that I have in reading through the book of he- uh, the chapter 11 here, when I think about faith, the first thing that I think of is that faith is reasonable. Faith begins with reason. And to those who think or, or have this mindset that faith is this sort of blind trust, that when you come to church, you're meant to check your brain and your intellect and your reason at the door, and whatever happens, you're just supposed to say, yep, okay, I take it all. That is not the kind of faith that the author is describing in chapter 11. In fact, over and over again, you see this word considered for Moses, for Abraham, for Sarah. Maybe your version says reasoned. Yes, that is what happens, because Sarah was given a promise, if you look at verse 11, and she reasoned. She sat and she said, you know what? God is calling me to do this thing, even though this is true, but he's given me this promise, and he's always done what he said he would do, so I'm going to do this, trusting, having faith, that he is going to do, again, what he said he would do. And you know what? He does. He did. Look at Abraham. It's that same word. He considered. He sat. When, when Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac, it is one chapter after he is told, it is through Isaac that I am going to make you a great nation. In fact, that verse from chapter 21 is quoted here in, verse, in chapter 11. And yet Abraham knows, okay, if if God has promised this and he's asking me to do this, it feels like a contradiction, but I'm going to trust that God is who he says he is and he will do what he said he would do. That's faith. It is trusting in something that we cannot yet see, knowing that God is going to keep his promise. The second observation that I have is this one. Faith is active. Faith is not this thing that we go, yes, I am going to trust that God will do whatever he says he is going to do, and then I sit back and wait for it to happen. God, why aren't you doing that? Faith requires some obedience. Faith means action. When you look at the stories that are listed here, it is action 
that these people take that demonstrates their faith, even from the get-go, from the definition that we read. It is the conviction. Maybe your version says substance. It is, there, there's meat to it. There's, there's moving my feet and doing stuff based on what I know God has said he will do. It is active. It took Abraham moving. It took him going to a place he had never seen before, away from his family, his language, his culture, to a land, by the way, when you read Genesis chapter 12, it says, to a land that I will show you. It's this idea of God going, pack your things, let's get going, and, and Moses is, or excuse me, Abraham's going, okay, what, what's the address that I need to put into my Google Maps? I'll show you when you get there. Just get started, I'll let you know. That's faith. It's faith going, if that's where God wants me to go, he's been a little bit shaky on the details, I'm still stepping out, I'm packing my bags, and I'm going, and that's what Abraham did. Because faith is active. The third thing that I really want to highlight here throughout this passage, and especially as I am thinking about this this morning and this week as we see baptism, is what is their faith in? What is the substance of their faith? And ultimately, our faith is in the power of resurrection. Our faith and their faith, as we read about these heroes, is in a power to raise the dead. People are doing and acting and making decisions in a way that says, I serve a God who is greater than death. I serve a God who is able to defeat hell and sin and death itself and bring us back from the dead. Even in the way he talks about the story of Abraham and Isaac, sometimes we get this feeling of like, how on earth would Abraham be willing to sacrifice his son? We are told this. Abraham sits down, he reasons, and he goes, God must be bringing him back from the dead. That's how he is going to do it. That was how much faith he had in the power of resurrection, that he knew, even if I killed my son, God has said, it is through that son that I'm going to make you a mighty nation, so he must be bringing him back from the dead. Do we serve a God who is powerful enough to do that? Yes, amen. There is a running theme throughout all of scripture of resurrection. This is the truth of, of what it means to declare I am a Christian, a follower of Christ. Jesus is my Lord as you witness these six do here today. And we symbolize this by dunking you under and bringing you back up because it is not like you were bad or you were a little sick or you had some things to work on. No, we were dead and God has brought us back to life through the power of his son. That is what we have faith in, and that is what all of these heroes, these saints, these Old Testament characters had faith in as well, the power of God's resurrection. And you see this running theme all throughout, verse 4, verse 5, 12 and 13, 16, 19, even up in verse 35 and 36, you see this running theme of death and resurrection, because that is the great truth. Christ did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live, and that is what it means to have faith and, and as a follower of Jesus. The final thing that I want to point out here is that faith is meant to be lauded. 
Faith is meant to be emulated, celebrated. We call this chapter the Hall of Faith. And it's a play on this word, the Hall of Fame. But instead, we have a Hall of Faith. These are the great heroes of our tradition. These are the great heroes of faith that the audience and even us, we ought to hold up and say, look at them. We need to be like them. We need to have faith like they had. And it, it stands in this kind of weird and sharp contrast to the ways that we hold up heroes and emulate certain people, even culturally. We live in a world where our successes and our achievements, where our might, where our beauty, where our intellect and cleverness, all of these things are why we should be praised. That's why we hold up our heroes. And I took a stab at, you know, what would someone who is considering, you know, awarding these people some, some medal, some award, some ceremony, some cash prize, some Nobel prize, you know, and they looked at their lives and they read through the Old Testament. What would someone in 21st century North America say, oh, that's why they ought to be held up as heroes? And if we tried that, Hebrews chapter 11 might sound something like this. By his own wisdom and good judgment, Abel knew what God wanted. By his carpentry and design prowess, Noah built the most famous ship in history. By his strategic thinking, Abraham successfully exfiltrated his nephew and led a team of armed men to defeat his enemies, reclaimed his possessions, and won the favor of kings. By her great beauty, Sarah convinced the Pharaoh of Egypt to spare her husband's life. By his networking skills, Joseph climbed the corporate ladder and landed a sweet gig reporting directly to Pharaoh. By his might, Moses performed wonders and defeated the Egyptian army. Are any of those things true? Yeah, you could, you could make an argument for that. Is that why they're listed in Hebrews chapter 11? No. Over and over and over again, what is the attribute that is held up? It is their faith. It is their faith that makes us want to look at them, where we ought to say, let's be like Moses, let's be like Joseph, let's be like Abraham. Faith is this thing that makes you act in a way, remember, because faith is active, that, that makes the world go, why on earth would you do that? Faith is this crazy thing that when lived out, it makes the world go, there's, there's got to be some other part of this picture that I don't see. There has to be something going on, some reality that is not yet kind of here yet that they see and I don't, because that is what faith is. And it changes everything that we do. It makes Abram leave his homeland. It makes Joseph on his deathbed say, here's what you do with my bones. Don't you dare leave them in Egypt. Why? Because God's promised that land and I know he's going to do it. It makes Rahab throw all of what she knew before out the window because she had faith in a God who keeps his promises. It makes all of these people act in a way that says they must know of something that's going to happen that I don't know about yet. And we should live like that too. 
We should live in a way that we are chasing after something we can't quite see yet, but we know it is coming because God is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he would. It makes us make different decisions with money and job and the, where we spend our time and the way that we parent, the way that we have relationships and forgive others. Forgiveness is crazy and wild. Why on earth would you ever forgive anyone unless you knew God is coming back and he is going to make the world right again? He is going to bring perfect justice. And oh, by the way, you might spend eternity with this person. That's what makes us to do restitution and, and reconciliation and forgive others. And, and you can, I, I, we don't have time, I feel like the author here, time doesn't permit me to tell you of all the crazy things that we ought to be doing because we have faith in a God who rose from the dead and he's coming again. And it makes me think a little bit of, uh, of a story that is almost certainly uh, apocryphal. Uh, it's one of those tales that's become a legend and myth. It's probably not true. So with that disclaimer, I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, Mother Teresa, um, who worked for decades and decades uh, in the slums of Calcutta, India, um, she was being interviewed once by a, a young journalist um, and and he was asking her about uh, where these people go after she's met with them and how many baptisms she's had and whether or not she's building a church and whether or not yada, 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 and, and getting a whole lot of undesirable answers. And he's going, well, what, how on earth do you keep doing this? When do you know that you're successful? How can you know whether or not you're actually touching lives and being successful Aren't you concerned with how successful you are going to be in ministry? And Teresa's response was this. She turned to him and she said, My dear boy, God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. And that, for me, if I have to pick a big idea that I want to share with you today, it is that. God has not called us to be successful. He has called us to be faithful. And the way that we worship or praise cultural heroes, it ought to look very, very different for those who are in Christ Jesus. It ought to look markedly different. And I have to be honest, there are times when I, I get very frustrated and I grow weary with the state of the church and how close it looks to the culture around us. Because it is very easy to look at at pop culture or the news or social media or whatever and kind of, you know, cluck our tongues and shake our heads and go, oh, the, these silly people, how much they, they just laud and adore and, and even worship, you know, Ryan Reynolds or the Kardashians. Oh, isn't that so silly? We do it too in Christianity. We have our own heroes. We have our people that if they're headlining the, the seminar or if they write a book or if they have the Right Now Media series or whatever, oh yeah, that's the big name. We gotta go to them. And hear, hear me say this. It is not a bad thing to be successful. It is not sinful to experience or to see the fruits of our success it is not a bad thing to have a big church or lots and lots of baptisms and conversions. It's not a terrible thing to say, I have sold X number of books 
or my business has grown this much, or I have this many Twitter followers, or whatever it is. All that I am saying is, if we, the people of God who are followers of Christ, believe in something greater, believe in a world where death itself has been defeated, we ought to live a little bit differently. And the people that we look to and say, I want to be like that, should be because of their faith and not their success. God has not called us to be successful. He has called us to be faithful. And so let me challenge you a little bit to consider your heroes. To say, if you were to write Hebrews chapter 11 in your own life, who are the people that have gone before me that I want my life to look like? Who are the people that I look to and I say, I want a life like theirs? And how do I make it because of their faith? I want to tell you very briefly about some heroes of mine. Their names are John and Nancy DeValve. If you are out there thinking to yourself, oh yes, I've heard of them. No, you haven't. It's the other one then. You're thinking of the wrong one. If you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know, I think I, I uh, follow them on social media. Nope. <laughs> ha- haven't they had a New York Times bestselling But Nope. I think I listen to their podcast. No, you don't. I served very briefly with them in West Africa. John and Nancy had children that were in my class, and they had already been there uh, for about 20 years serving and ministering. And um, they came back to the U.S. a few years ago, but still work and still minister uh, in West Africa and among the Songhai people of Niger. And I just want to tell you a little story When I was there, one of my great joys was to do uh, outreach trips with our students. And we got to go out to the place where John and Nancy had served for 16 years with the Songhai people. And we got there, and John is one of these guys, you just, you cannot, I, I have never met someone who met John and did not love him. He is wonderful, he is quirky, he is always upbeat and smiling, he's goofy, And we got there, and we're setting up tents, and I'm giving directions to students, and John had been out, and he was doing some errands, and he came back, and he was just downcast, and he was so discouraged, and he he said, come here, and he called me and another adult that was on the trip over, and he sat down, and he goes, guys, I I just need some prayer and encouragement, and he had been out visiting people, and he saw the first person that he had ever led to Christ a Songhai man in this village and learned that he had gone back to Islam and had renounced his faith and was no longer a practicing Christian. It was just easier and more effective in his culture. You know what? Just to be a Muslim. And it was really hard for John and it was devastating and he just said, "I I just need some prayer and encouragement. And we did that. We wept with him and we prayed for him and, and, and then he did something incredible. He did maybe the most incredible thing I've ever seen in ministry. He wiped his eyes. He took a deep breath. He stood up. And then he served faithfully for another 12 years among the Songhai people. Why does somebody do that? Because God has not called us to be successful. He has called us to be faithful. And John knew 
And Nancy knew God has called us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to this people, and darned, we are going to do it. And they did. And I look at that, and I think, that's what I want to be like. And as we look at Hebrews 11 and we come to this part of the sermon where I say, so what? The so what at the end of Hebrews is very easy because the author lays it out for us. Remember, it is very, very uh, practical by this stage. We've moved into this so what part. And right at the end of, verse, of chapter 11, you know what comes next? Chapter 12. And when the author of Hebrews wrote this, he did not put in all of the verses and chapter numbers. And right at the end of what we read comes this famous set of verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith. If we are looking at people and holding folks up as someone that we want to emulate, it had darn well be because we also have an eye on Jesus and we're saying, they're like Jesus, I want to be like them because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like John and Nancy DeValve because they're like Jesus. I want to have a life that people say, what in the world? He made crazy, radical, almost silly, stupid decisions unless he was totally confident in a God who is who he says he is and will do what he said he would, who is coming back to set all things right, to conquer sin and death in the power of the resurrection of his son, Christ Jesus. Because God has not called us to be successful. He has called us to be faithful. So let me challenge you with this. This is your so what this week. I want to challenge you to look around in your life and ask yourself, who is faithful? Who in my life looks like Jesus? Who do I want my life to look like because they look like Jesus? I don't care what their book is doing. I don't care how many followers they have on Instagram. I don't care if they've got a hit series or if their speaker's fee is six figures. Whatever it is, I want my life to look like theirs because they're like Jesus. Amen. And would you do this? Would you tell them? My challenge to you, your so what this week, your homework assignment is... Identify somebody whose faith inspires you, whose life you want to infect and inspire yours, whose life you want yours to look like. And would you tell them, hey, I love the way you read the Bible. I love the way you parent your kids. I love the way you serve. I love the way you run your business. I love the way you go faithfully to that job. I love the way, whatever it is, and say, I want to be like you because I see Jesus in you. And if you do that, I suspect two things will happen. Number one, once you say it out loud, once you voice that, suddenly it's real. Suddenly it's, it's you know, higher stakes. Suddenly I, I've said it. Now there's some accountability. Maybe that person's going to follow up with me. Maybe that person's going to be looking. Maybe that person's going to be reaching out and engaging me. 
And man, if I say I want my life to look like theirs because theirs looks like Jesus, I had better have a faith that is active and do it. And the second thing that I suspect will happen is that you will be amazed, astounded, gobsmacked, and knocked over, bowled over at who comes and finds you. At who says to you, I love your faith, and I want my life to look more like yours because you're my hero. I suspect you will be amazed at who is watching you, at whose life is being affected because of your faith and your decisions. And suddenly, oh, that raises the stakes a little bit. I gotta walk a little higher. I'm, I'm, someone said, oh, they love the way I study the Bible and I missed it yesterday. I better get on that today. <laughs> suddenly it raises the stakes for our own faith. And so that's my challenge to you this morning because God has not called us to be successful. He has called us to be faithful. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love, your grace, your faith, your power to raise the dead. And we pray in all things, Father, that you would show us the power of your resurrection, that we would live as people who know and trust, who have confidence that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you said you would. And we pray that we would do it in an active way that others might see and they too would be drawn to you because of the power of the resurrection of your son, Christ Jesus. And we pray it in his name, and in his name, amen.